Well, this morning I, I have kind of two titles. The first title is God of the Impossible. There are so many things that are impossible for man and totally possible with God. You know, we can start with our salvation, the God of the impossible. What could you and I do to, to save our souls? What could you and I do to get ourselves back in a place where we could have relationship with God, intimate relationship with God? What could we do to deal with the sin issue in our life? Nothing. It was impossible. But with God. So all things are possible. He offered up Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. When it comes to our physical healing, golly, it can look so impossible. But all things are possible in Christ, in God, and what he has done. You know, we can get into situations and circumstances in our lives. And most of us have been there. Most of us, some of us are there. And a lot of us will be there where there's circumstances and situations that look impossible. And for us as human beings, one of the hardest things we ever have to do is ever have to do is say, you know what, I can't do a thing. I'm helpless here. It's it's hopeless if it's in my hands. You know, our our, our makeup, our 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 pride, our 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 need to fix things can almost overwhelm us. And most most of the time God just wants us in that place where Mike, you can't do anything. Enjoy it. Let me do the work. God of the impossible. Now, there are lots of things, and we could all go on and make lists of things that seem impossible in our own lives. But there's one thing that I'm going to talk about today, and if you're still reading along in the New Testament, we're in the book of James, kind of running right through what Pastor Bob is doing in the Bible class. We're going to talk about something that seems impossible, and that's taming the tongue. That would really be the second title. There I am, minus the pigtails. The tongue. The tongue. You know, I, I, I read once, and I have no idea where I read this, but it's, it, it made the picture, a metaphor for us, that our, our tongue is so dangerous, it's put in a prison with bars and walls. We got our lips and our teeth, both, to close that thing up. So our tongue can't get us in trouble. You know, and as we talk about redemption, we talk about being redeemed. And if you've been in adult Bible class, and if you haven't been, I would encourage you. But if you have, if you have been, you know, Pastor Bob has been stressing, there's, you know what? God's done the work. We just need to embrace what he has done in giving us this new creation in Christ, dealing with all that old junk and then not striving to do, 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 do in our own flesh, but just submit ourselves and be, be, be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And the grace is there. And I have discovered that one of the hardest things, I think, in my own life to be redeemed is that thing. Some of you would say, amen, I know Mike. That tongue. That tongue was one of my favorite weapons in my B.C. days. It was a protector. I mean, someone would come at me, I'd just get out my tongue and rip them to shreds. And all my insecurities would manifest with uh, a critical spirit, a sarcastic tongue. Oh, man, you know, everybody says, you get in fights when you were young. No, I didn't have to. My fists could stay in my pockets. But, boy, my tongue was my favorite weapon. And then you get redeemed and you get saved and you got this relationship with the Lord and that stupid tongue will not cooperate. It still does things and says things. It's like, 
You know, the guys in the, uh, my elders used to joke that they always watch me when I was getting upset in the meeting. I'd be biting my tongue with my tongue. They said lower lip, but I'd hang it with my tongue. You know, why is that? It's so hard. And it's interesting, when you go through the scriptures time and again, time after time, either directly or indirectly, it tells you about that thing in your mouth called a tongue. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it, when you, when you go to the doctor, one of the things they do, you go in there sick, and, you know, it seems like, gee, you could have a sore in your foot, and the first thing they do is say, open your mouth, and they stick this stick and a light in there. It's amazing. They can look and see about our physical well-being by looking at our tongue. You know, you want to go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and they want to talk to you and find out what's wrong with you. They just want to get you talking and let your tongue start discovering what's mentally wrong with you. Well, spiritually, it's the same thing. If we want to get a spiritual checkup, all we need to do is check on our tongue. And the Bible has so much to say. As a matter of fact, we're going to be looking at James chapter 3. James gives the whole chapter to this thing in our mouth we call our tongue. I mean, how big a deal can it be that a whole chapter of the Word of God has to deal directly with the tongue? And as if that wasn't enough, he mentioned it in chapter 1, he mentions it in chapter 2, and he mentions it in chapter 4, and he mentions it in chapter 5. Glad he didn't write chapter 6. About the tongue. Our tongue. I want to read a scripture in Matthew chapter 12, verse 4. When we consider the words of Jesus here, we can maybe get an idea why the tongue is given such extensive treatment in the Scripture. It says, you brood of vipers. And specifically, he's talking to religious leaders. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. I'm glad I'm saved so I don't have to worry about him sending me to hell because of all the careless words that came out of my mouth. But I sometimes wonder how many rewards I've sacrificed because of my tongue. Because of my tongue. Proverbs 18 says this, Verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life in the power of the tongue. How we handle the tongue is a very, very good indicator of our heart before God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm already convicted. Thank goodness I'm forgiven. We're going to look at this, and I'm going to start with, a, how many of you have ever heard of Aesop, Aesop's Fables? How many of you know who the heck he is? I didn't have a clue, but I've always heard about Aesop's Fables. It turns out he was like somewhere around 600 B.C., and he was a Greek storyteller. And some of his stories are kind of ridiculous, but there's usually a point, a moral to his story. I'm going to just share one of his short Aesop Fables. It says, Once upon a time, A donkey found a lion's skin laying on the road. He tried it on. 
he strutted around and frightened many animals as he wore this lion skin. Soon a fox came along, and the donkey tried to scare him too. But the fox, hearing the donkey's voice, said, If you want to terrify me, you'll have to disguise your bray. Aesop's moral, clothes may disguise a fool, but his words will give him away. Our words are a good indicator of our heart. They're a good indicator of our spiritual maturity, our spiritual walk. We're going to look at James chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. And I'm not going to spend too much time on any of the verses, but I'm going to break it down again in smaller pieces, starting with verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brothers, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. The word perfect there really means a mature man. If you are able to bridle your tongue, it says it's a sign of maturity, spiritual maturity. And it says if you are able to bridle your tongue, you are able to bridle or control your whole body. In other words, that tongue is an indicator of how well you're doing in the rest of your spiritual walk, the life you're living, the lifestyle that you're living. And it's interesting in in the very first verse how there's kind of a warning. You know, most people want to be heard, right? We want to be heard. And there's no better way to be heard than to to teach. Um, Spiritually in the church, boy, we all like to teach the Word. The reality is you're all teachers of the Word. You're all teaching somebody the Word, I hope. And we're going to be held accountable for what we teach. And it says someone in an official position of a teacher, you're going to be even held more accountable. I've shared this before, but this scripture is one of those scriptures when, when I was first feeling the call to become a pastor and the elders in the church recognized that call in my life. This scripture scared me in a good way because it motivated me. Mike, get in the word, get in the word, get in the word. You know, there's a million books out there to read, and people are always giving me books and always trying to give me books. And I, and I, don't, I appreciate that, and there's a lot of good books. But you know what? None of them are the Word of God. They may quote the Word of God, and hopefully they teach some principles of the Word of God. But for me, it's like I value that time, and I need to know this because I'm going to stand before God and be held accountable for every word, every sermon, every teaching I've ever done. That's scary. Because I've said and done some dumb things. And I even know that. I can't imagine how many he's kept track of. Thank goodness we're forgiven. We need to realize that this tongue is the most difficult thing you will ever control. According to the word of God. It's not my opinion. This is what the word of God says. It tells us that we are going to have difficulty with this tongue. And if we can control the tongue, the good news is we can control us. And he gives us some examples. He gives us some pictures, some metaphors. And in in verse, (coughs) excuse me, verse 3, he says, if we put the bits in the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. You know, (coughs) I'm not much of a horseman. Where's Anna? 
You know, a sweet little girl gets on that great big 1,000-pound horse. How do you control that 1,000-pound horse? Well, she probably is a horse whisperer, but most of us, we have that bit. That little bit, you know, depending on the bit, they can weigh anywhere from a few ounces to a little, maybe a pound or two with a big bit is put in their mouth. And with that bit, you can control that 1,000-pound horse. As James is writing this, he's using this lesser to show us the greater. That little bit will control that great big horse. And then he gives us an even better picture for us, especially in our day. In his day, he used the example of a boat and a rudder. Well, in our day, we've got some big boats, boats like James would have never, ever dreamt about. And we can look at the Nimitz, one of our aircraft carriers. This boat is 192 feet long. Check that. 1,092 feet long. Over three football fields, almost three and a half football fields long. It's about a football field and a half wide. It weighs so many tons, I couldn't figure out how many pounds it was. It's a lot. Now, the rudder on this boat seems big. The rudder on this boat, the Nemitz, is about 20, 29 feet high and 29, 22 feet long. And each rudder, there's two of them, weighs, 20, weighs 102,000 pounds. But in comparison to the size of the boat, it's less than 2% in length of that boat. And those two rudders can direct that boat wherever it needs to go. He's using the example of the lesser controlling the greater. And his point is this. This little thing in our mouth has the power to control us. It will direct us towards good or will direct us towards evil. Now, you might think I'm exaggerating, but I'm just telling you what the Scripture says. It tells it it will direct me towards good or towards evil and how my tongue functions and operates. And then he uses another picture that we can relate to. He makes it simple. And as, you, as you're reading the book of James and as we're studying it in Bible class, the book of James is really kind of telling us how to live a holy life, not in our own strength, not in our own power, not in our own effort, but by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit working in us. And he says, here, we got this little tiny tongue. He says, it's like a little tiny fire. In verse 5, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and it, yet it boasts of great, great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small little fire. The picture there is easy. We all know it can just take a little spark to start a forest fire. That little spark that could have been extinguished with just a fingertip can turn into a fire that burns hundreds and thousands of acres, destroys everything in its sight. And he's using that again as a metaphor for my tongue, this little thing in my mouth. I mean, how much damage can it do, really? Oh, my goodness. You know, in the role of a teacher, a pastor, just think of how much damage has been done by somebody teaching false doctrine. Just think of the damage that 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 false doctrine, especially today with our technology and communication. I mean, you can be this charismatic leader. You can be a great orator, and you can stand up there and preach and teach. And if you're teaching false doctrine, it's going to affect thousands of people. Now, that's just a picture for me in my mind as the one who teaches or preaches. But just think of the damage gossip 
can do coming from our mouth. We just tell something that's not quite right to one person who tells another person, and the law of multiplication and reproduction takes over. How much damage can it do? We can destroy, totally destroy people's reputations. You can totally destroy the unity that a church has been trying to build for years and years and years with your tongue, bringing strife, disunity, speaking those things which are evil. We don't think of them necessarily that way, but they are. Look at the rest of that verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. My tongue is the world of what is unjust and unrighteous. The tongue is set a, excuse me, <coughs> the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Isn't that powerful, strong language being used to talk about something we all have and take for granted? Our tongue. It is set on fire by hell. The word there is Gehenna. And there was a valley outside of Jerusalem where they burned all of the, 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 what was left of the sacrifices. History tells us that's where pagan religions would actually sacrifice children in the valley of Gehenna. The fires would burn continuously. The stench would be horrible and the flies and the maggots would be consuming everything. And he tells me that my tongue is set on fire by Gehenna. He is using such powerful word pictures for us to drive home the point, hopefully, how evil our tongue can be and how difficult it is to control. Words can build up. Words can destroy. And again, for better or for worse, almost more than anything else, it reveals our heart. The devil will use your tongue whenever you make it available to him. The good news is, so will God. But you know what our default is as as human beings? It's not to use it to bring glory and honor to God. Our default is to turn this thing loose. In verse 7 and 8, and I am so glad chapter 3 does not stop at the end of these verses. Because verses 7 and 8 say this, For every species of beast and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. We are good. We can tame anything and everything. Almost. But no one, it says, no one, no one in this room, no one in this building can tame our tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Are you feeling good about this so far? I mean, I hate this chapter. I mean, the tongue, for goodness sakes, a whole chapter on the tongue. 
And the words he used and the pictures he gives us, the metaphors that he uses, are all these metaphors demonstrating how something so little has so much power. Power to live or power to kill. It's good if we use it to live, to give life. The tongue is that one beast that no one can tame. And it would be a miserable message if James left it right there, but he didn't. What is impossible with man is possible with God. I can't control my tongue, but he can. He can. He can redeem me. He can redeem my soul. He can redeem my tongue. He can redeem my mind. Verse 9 and 10. He addresses this issue of hypocrisy. Now, church, we've all been called hypocrites by the world, by family members. You hypocrites, you think you're this, that, and the other thing, but look what you did. Look what you said. Why our tongue is made for hypocrisy. In verse 9, it says, With our tongue... We bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And he goes on in the last part of verse 10 and into verse 12. He says, my brothers and my sisters, these things ought not be this way. He's saying it's hypocritical that with this same tongue, We praise God and we bless God and yet we curse man who are made in the image of God. And think about it. Don't think about it too long, you'll get depressed. But think about how easy it is to do that. How easy it is to to criticize, to gossip, to judge, to let our tongue go what we just politely call off color, a little bit out of control. It's so easy, it happens so quickly, and it can be so devastating. Not only to those around us, but also to our testimony and witness for the Lord. Now notice James is not saying and speaking to unbelievers. Their hypocrisy is not, their salvation is not at risk here. He's saying, believers, brothers, we ought not be this way. And he gives us again pictures. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, produce olives or vines produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh water. What he is saying is this kind of hypocrisy, this kind of duplicity ought not be. It should not be possible for you or I as children of God redeemed by the blood of Jesus to let our tongue speak this way. Our tongue should be redeemed. Our tongue is a picture of our spiritual maturity. We should be growing more and more consistent in our speech as we continue to walk and grow in our relationship with the Lord. And he's made it clear, if I get in my own strength, it's impossible. I cannot do it. But again, with God, all things are possible. You know, I I can sit there and bite my tongue all I want. But the thoughts of my heart are even being revealed in that. 
the issues of our heart are being revealed continually. We need to be reminded continually of the source of our tongue being redeemed. Now, I bet most of us have not thought about the redemption of your tongue. But that's what needs to take place. My tongue needs to be redeemed. And the tongue is really a, really a good picture of uh, sanct- already sanctified but not yet done. Right? It's a process. It's a process as we continue to just surrender and let the grace of God redeem us, redeem our tongue. Let the grace of God, you know, uh, pray. How many times have you prayed, Lord, this tongue thing that you call evil is causing a problem. Lord, I want to surrender it to you fresh and new right now. God, by your spirit, give me the grace. Give me, the, give me your heart. Give me your words. How, how often do we pray? Just, it's it's got to be him. I mean, if you've been in adult Bible class the last few weeks, you know we, we can try really hard and do all these things in our own strength and flesh, and all we do is get wore out and frustrated because it doesn't work. But if we just believe what the Word of God says, trust in him, But what he says is true. My tongue is redeemed. Now we need to just demonstrate that redemption to the world around us. And he goes on with kind of giving us some real insight. Knowing the source of our tongue's redemption, it only comes from godly wisdom. Godly wisdom, not earthly wisdom. What's godly wisdom? Divine wisdom. His wisdom, not my own wisdom. Worldly wisdom will lead to a tongue that is just filled with bitterness. And it will show itself through bragging, denial of truth. He tells us godly wisdom will lead to pure and peaceable speech. I'm going to read verse 13 and then we'll look at verses 14 through 16. He makes the transition in your scripture to wisdom, divine wisdom. Who among us, among you, is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and so lie against the truth. It's an interesting verse. If you have jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant. If you have jealousy, don't be arrogant. What's a tendency to do when, we, when we're jealous about something or somebody? We start to edify and lift up and brag about us, ourselves. He said, don't do that. Don't do that. You have selfish ambition in your heart. You know, we lie against the truth. You know, we, we're doing it for this. We're doing it for that. We're doing No, we're doing it for self. He's saying that's not godly wisdom. That's worldly wisdom. If you have those kinds of jealousies, and selfish ambitions. In verse 15, the wisdom that this wisdom is not that which comes down from above. But listen how he describes that wisdom. It is earthly, natural, or unspiritual, and demonic. Demonic wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Worldly wisdom. 
versus wisdom from above. And divine wisdom only comes by the redeeming grace of God. You know, we can, we can play with our brain, play with our thoughts, play with our mind, and just like everything else we try to do right, but we do it in our own flesh, our own strength, and we're going to fail over and over and over. The redemption is the work of God. It's the work of the blood of Christ. And whether it's the redemption of our soul or the redemption of our tongue, the redemption of our mind, all of this is the work of grace, the work of God in our life. (coughs) You know, Aesop in his fable was kind of correct. The kind of wisdom and the, the type of speech that governs most of our lives does display our heart. You know, the question I always have to ask myself when I look at James chapter 3 is, what is my tongue revealing about my heart? What is my tongue revealing about my heart? What is your tongue revealing about your heart? You know, maturity is something that happens over time. We continue to grow into spiritual maturity. But as we're growing, our tongue should be a demonstration of that maturing in Christ. If the way we speak and the way we use this tongue hasn't changed since our salvation, we, we're not growing spiritually. We might be learning more stuff. We might even be trying harder in the flesh. But the spiritually, our growth is still being stunted. So Asap's solution was control your tongue. Well, Asap's solution only goes so far. James tells us it's impossible. It's impossible in your own strength to control your tongue. Apart from Christ. You know, again, this is one of those many things you can put on your list that we should never expect of unbelievers. A controlled tongue. Because our tongue needs to be redeemed by the blood of Christ. James is teaching us that. And it only happens when we just let the Redeemer do the work of redemption. You know, when you read the book of James, and as Bob has been teaching through it, it seems like there's always this divine tension between, you know, works and faith, faith and works. You know, really, the works aspect is simply just surrendering and being obedient to the work of Christ in your life. If I surrender my tongue to the Holy Spirit, what kind of words are going to come out of my mouth? Words that bring life. Words that give life. Words that build up. Words that don't tear down. It's just surrendering and letting the redemption, the redeeming power of God work through each one of us. It requires the Redeemer. So I guess in closing, what I would just encourage us, encourage you, and encourage myself to take my own advice, is that we need to really throw ourselves on the mercy of the Redeemer in the area of our tongue and believe with all our heart that he's redeemed my tongue just as much as he's redeemed my spirit, redeemed my soul. He has redeemed us and pray that he will continue his work in us 
of overthrowing all the demonic words that come out of our mouths. That's a challenging prayer. But James is clear. And we see it over and over in different places in Scripture. Words have the power to bring death or life. The Word of God itself brings what? Life. When the Word of God dwells richly in us, it tells us the Holy Spirit will even speak through us as we allow Him to influence our tongue. Let's close in prayer. Lord, that is my prayer. And I pray, Lord, that it's a prayer for each one of us here, God, that we would surrender our tongues to you to be used for your glory and for your honor. God, that the words we speak would bring life, not death. That the words we speak, the power that those words have, the power to build up or the power to destroy, that we would, we would use the words to build up, to edify to encourage. God, these kinds of words, Lord, we thank you that they bring unity, not division, not strife. Your word just tells us that they bring peace. Peace to those around us, but peace in our heart, peace in our soul. Lord, we pray and I pray that you would continue to reveal to us by your Holy Spirit the power in our words. And Lord, you would just continue to work out that process in our lives of redeeming the words we speak. God, that our words would bring glory to you, never dishonor. That we would not allow our tongue to be a a tool of hypocrisy, praising you and yet criticizing and speaking evil towards those who are created in your image. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would use these words of James in each one of our lives to reveal anything to each one of our hearts where we just need to freshly surrender to you. I thank you, Lord, that it's not dependent upon me or my abilities, but upon your power that lives and dwells in us, your Holy Spirit. I pray now, Lord, as we go our separate ways, that you would watch over us, that you would keep us safe, protect us. God, I pray you would give us those opportunities to be the good news of Jesus and share the good news of Jesus with others. I pray, Lord, that where we go, the love of Jesus would be manifesting to those around us. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be your sons and daughters, be your hands and feet, and to be your lips and speak your words. May it bring glory and honor to you in Jesus' name. Amen.